Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mecca Don, here with my co-host V. Sagittarius season. Today is November 28th, 2019, and this is our special Thanksgiving episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you are here with us. Today's show is going to be hot and contentious. In our Exposing the Farce segment, we will talk about Kanye West and whether or not he's a hustler of the worst kind or is just doing as the Romans do. We get input on Kanye from celebrity personality Van Lathan, talk to him about tabloid journalism, and talk sports and music. We will also speak to former NFL standout Chimdi Chekwa about life after football, it being hard to get respect as an athlete, and his thoughts on the upcoming Ohio State-Michigan game. Let's get into it. Let's go! Our next guest was a standout cornerback for Ohio State before being drafted by the Oakland Raiders and playing several seasons in the NFL. As a senior in college, he was named first-team All-American by the FWAA in College Football News. After his NFL career, he went on to earn his MBA from the University of Miami Business School and now has become a successful entrepreneur, father, and a husband. Let's welcome in Chimdi Chekwa to the Pilot Boys podcast. What's up, what's up, what's up? What's up, Chindi? How are you, man? You were supposed good, to, man. You were, spo- good. you were supposed to come to the studio. I know you had to call in. Mecca's mom was going to make some jollof rice and rice and stew. <laughs> and I'm missing out because of you, man. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm out here ripping and running, man. No, that's cool. No, we appreciate you uh, taking out the time to talk to us, man. You have, you have such a great story, and, I, you know, there are a lot of dimensions to you. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of times football players don't necessarily get that respect. I think a lot of times people think they're just one-dimensional and they don't, they don't like to dig deeper. And so on this show, you know, obviously we, we talk to a lot of athletes and we, we, we respect that. But we also want to dig deeper and talk to you about other things that you have going on and, you know, the mental aspect of football and life after football. So let's jump right into that, if you don't mind. Uh, you know, you recently transitioned out of the NFL and into life after football. And I guess my first question to you is, what was that like mentally? You know, growing up, you were probably always an athlete, and then all of a sudden now you've, like, transitioned to the business world. How did you deal with that mentally? Uh, I would say mentally I was good. Um, I think overall, towards the end of my football playing career, or pretty most of my career, uh, mentally I think I was uh, solid, and I tried to make sure I was well balanced outside of sports, um, primarily because I knew that there was going to come when I was no longer going to be uh, an elite athlete or playing at a playing football at a high, high level. So I was kind of prepared for the next step yeah. um, mentally, but I wasn't necessarily prepared for the next step in every other area. You know, it's, it's hard to prepare for it. So yeah. I think I was good. I came. I, I went into it with a good uh, mental. Focus. I was at peace. I was ready to do whatever was next. But everything else was kind of difficult in terms of just being able to be prepared for what's next. Yeah. And what is next? Give us an idea of what what is next. What are, what are the challenges 
of what's next after you're done playing? Yeah, so for me, uh, you know, uh, I think I was always, uh, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and kind of make my money, create my own schedule and, you know, doing some of the things that I thought, you know, I, I was interested in. And, you know, that's been a challenge in terms of going from, you know, a guaranteed paycheck that was pretty good, I would add, um, <laughs> to just <laughs> to, to trying to start up stuff because, you know, when you, when you do a startup, it's, long, it's really long-term. So for me, he and a couple of business partners started a, a barbecue restaurant called Dick Barbecue Grill in Columbus, working on a second location. I'm um, also on some real estate um, properties, some rental properties, like some, uh, some flips in the, in the in the Columbus area. But, you know, all that stuff is, you know, it's all challenging. It's all different. I also work, so I have a, I have a job. Uh, Aimpoint, Market Research, we do, I do competitive intelligence for them. Right. Which a lot of people don't really know what that is. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to spend time explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Don't go online but, uh, and research it. Yeah, so, so so balancing all that stuff, and also you know trying to replace the income that I was getting before all that stuff can be a challenge. But it, you know I enjoy it overall. One other question is how do we how do we then prepare the young guys, the guys that are coming up now, that are obviously going to be faced with these same kind of challenges, you know, as their career ends. How what should be done, and and how do we get these messages to these young guys? Because one of the things that I see that's so sad, I see a lot of people who played, and after they play, they have no idea what they're going to do next, and they're scrambling for the next decade trying to figure out what it is to do. How do we how do we help that issue a little bit? Well, I guess the best way to help is for guys like me to go back and tell them, like, this is what the situation is. I mean, it's, it's really hard to prepare for what's next. You spend all your time doing one thing. Yeah. And it's not just because, I mean, people always say, Football players, they waste their education. They shouldn't focus more on their education because they're like that for football. But they don't got time to focus on that other stuff. Mm-hmm. So I could, you know, I was I was someone who always did well in school. Um, and I got a business degree while I was playing. I got an MBA while I was in the NFL. So, I mean, you would think getting an MBA is, all, is, is the preparation that you need for what's next. It's not at Which all. I didn't work nowhere. I didn't have a resume. Like, my resume said... All Big Ten corner, <laughs> uh, you know, all Americans. Wow. So it, it, it wasn't. I wasn't really prepared, and I think the biggest thing guys can do right now while they're hot is use their their celebrity or use their uh, their current current status to network and build a relationship. Because ultimately, it's going to be a relationship that help you with the transition. Right. And it's kind of hard to just try to try to do it all on your own. Right. Yeah, you know the piece I'm most interested in is what you're doing entrepreneurship-wise, Tim D. I mean, as an entrepreneur myself, seeing your transition and kind of being a part of it with you coming to Columbus and starting the business has been fascinating to watch. Um, specifically, the story of the pit, because it's it's you and a couple other teammates from Ohio State. Um, and then you're also blending that, starting an establishment, with doing some more kind of high-risk things that you've you've shared with us as well could you just kind of tell us the story of how the pit came together and then what what your approach is to business yeah so when i got done with uh when i was a senior in uh at ohio state 
I was talking with a, one of my close friends who was uh, who was who was here locally in Columbus, um, but was going to going to Columbus State, and we were just discussing about at, uh, doing a restaurant maybe at some point in time, and we kind of went through the process of understanding it and stuff, and we tabled it for a while. And then, I think my fifth year in the league, we uh, we started that conversation again, and we started off trying to do a franchise or at least with the attempt to do a franchise, but we didn't really like what the terms were or what the, we didn't like that process at all because how much money you had to put up and it's really, you're really not building your own thing. So we tried to, we looked at other options to, you know, what can we do? What do we like? What do we wish was here while we were in school? And we came up with the pit. It was really me, uh, Brian Browning, who also played at Ohio State and, uh, two other uh, business partners. And we're pretty much just a, a group of friends, and we just wanted to do something that reminded us of a place that we enjoyed growing up. Those three are from Cleveland. I grew up in the South, Louisiana and Florida. We wanted to do something that reminded, reminded us of a place that uh, we went to growing up. We wanted to put in a community uh, to have that same community feel. We also wanted to use a little bit of what was left of our uh, Ohio State brand or whatever to, you know, kind of get the story out there about what we were doing. And uh, it just felt right. It's one of those things that it, it, it felt right, so we, we went with it, not knowing too much about restaurants, just learning on the fly and um, touring other restaurants, camera mission restaurants, different, different uh, people were willing to show us the ropes. That's smart. I think that, that goes a little bit to what we were talking about earlier about you know, passing down some of these messages to the next generation and things that they can do. And I think that, you know, what you what you've been able to do with the pit is a perfect example of that, of, of what's available. And, you know, one of the things that struck me when you were talking is, you know, that you said you're doing business with some of your friends and, you know, V and I are business partners. And sometimes, you know, I want to strangle him and sometimes he wants to kick me in the stomach, you know? So what is it like doing business? <laughs> what's it like doing business with your friends? Is that, is that something that you find to be, is it easier or is it, is it more challenging? It's, it's, it's challenging. So it's a good in the sense that as you when you when you uh when you guys have success you have success together. So mm-hmm. it, it's it's almost you almost enjoy it even more. Yeah. It's challenging in the sense that if you have differing opinions or or ideas, it's sometimes difficult to express it because you care about the individual still. Right. And you but you you understand the business success is is more important than somebody's feelings at the time, but it's hard to to manage that. 100%. Because over time, you keep hurting somebody's feelings. Eventually, they don't, the friendship, <laughs> you start losing that friendship, and then does that hurt the business? You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Is everybody being open and honest? So I think the biggest thing is, is honesty and communication and understanding that you can be honest with me that, that is respectful. Like, you can respect the other, the other person, how the other person may feel when right. you be honest. Right. And then also making sure if you do feel some type of way about something that you express that and y'all work through it. Cause if you don't, either you're going to hurt the business or you're going to hurt the relationship. So, uh, it's yeah. a challenge, man. It's almost like, it's almost like marriage, man. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like I'm, I'm stuck with them cause they my friends. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, <laughs> so since you stuck, you might as well communicate and work through it. Figure out a way to work it out. Cause you stuck with them cause you made that your commitment. business partners and your, yeah. So, 
One thing that's really struck me is that you did mention that you're from the South, Florida and Louisiana. I'd, I'd be interested to know why did you choose to settle in cold ass Columbus, Ohio? Um, and, and I'd like to hear that, you know, because we did, we talked about, um, last week about taking advantage of the relationships you build at a place like Ohio state, even if you're not getting paid to play. Um, how has that benefited you? Why, why Columbus really, despite all that, why Columbus? Yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start, but I'll start by saying this. I, I, I got a business degree and my favorite, uh, subject was economics mm-hmm. and it, Everybody, if you if you just understand economics, if you understand um, an economy that's doing well, you can see that Columbus is one of those areas. Like oh, yeah. you can see it, it's a growing city. You compare it to every other Midwest city. I mean, you could just compare it to every other city in Ohio. It might be the only city that's growing every year. And, and I would assume that most people in Ohio are moving into Columbus. So the other cities are, are, are shrinking in population. And now that may change the city being developed and stuff. But Columbus is a growing city, um, and I, I'm i comfortable with Columbus in terms of living. I'm a person. I like living in cities. So the reason I came, part of the reason why I came to Ohio State, because it wasn't a college town. It felt like a college town, but it was in the city. Right. I went to Clemson. Clemson's not in the city. And I, I couldn't imagine myself, uh, as, as good as they are, I couldn't imagine myself. So I do like the city of Columbus. I do. I can't appreciate the changes of the season, although I don't like the cold weather. But I, I can't appreciate the changes of the season. Yeah. And then, obviously, I, I wanted to start a business, and I thought the, the best place to start start a business was either where I went to high school in Claremont, Florida, which population compared to Columbus is nice and close, um, and the, or or Columbus where I played, you know, college football, and I thought it was an opportunity for me to leverage what I built in um, Columbus and continue on. It also helps that my wife is from Ohio. Right. Uh, so her family's nearby too. So yeah, that, all that, all that, I took all that stuff into account. Yeah. Columbus is, Columbus is a great city. You know, I was born and raised in Columbus. A lot of people don't know that cause I spent so much time in New York. But uh, it, it offers so many, so many great things. And, uh, you know, on this show, though, we, we obviously we want to talk about, you know, serious stuff, but we also want to transition into some pop culture stuff as well and get your opinions on that as well. Because, you know, I think, and this goes to what I was saying a little bit earlier, is that a lot of times when people look at athletes, they view them as so one-dimensional. You know, shut up and dribble or whatever. They don't want, they don't want to hear your opinions on other things, but they don't realize that athletes are also citizens uh, and not just from a political standpoint, but, you know, they also have opinions on things. So one of the things that we're actually talking about on this show later on today is going to be Kanye West. And it's a very pop culture-relevant story. Also, we're going to talk about music a lot on this show. And we, you know, we know that you're also a very religious person. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but he just basically recently just started a religious entity, uh, actually officially uh, as a 501c3. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on Kanye uh, as it pertains to that or any general thoughts that you had on Kanye. Yeah. So Kanye is an interesting one, man. I've, I've struggled so when Kanye first came out, he made he made the Jesus Walks, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm a I'm a Christian, and Jesus Walks was like, I loved it, you know what I'm saying? And then yeah. Kanye kind of <laughs> went kind of a different direction mm-hmm. than the, the the kind of the conscious rap type uh, route that it, it seemed like he was going initially. Um, but he was still always dope, 
But it always, to me, it always seemed like Kanye would do things. I mean, obviously he's a he's a performance he's trying to sell. But it almost seemed like he wasn't being true to himself. He was being true to just trying to sell records. So I always looked at his antics as antics in real life. Oh, he's Kanye didn't know if he's doing this because he's just trying to. He got a, he has an album coming out. Right. Yeah. So when he start when he started when he started with the with the. Uh, was it the Sunday service? Yeah. I'm like, oh, this Kanye again, looking at a a market niche, saying, you know, figuring that, you know, I could I could tap into this because it's not really tapped into, not at least in in this in this way, not mainstream like this. Right. But that's how I, I saw, her, and he was he doing stuff with Trump and stuff, and I was like, man, I'm gonna listen to it, but I'm not gonna like. It. <laughs> 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 so it's almost like, and that's kind of like that. That age-old thing of like, you know, if you're able to separate kind of the the art from the artist, you know, it's it's a tough thing yeah. in a lot of different, you know, even like the Cosby show, for example, we all grew up on it. And when it comes on now, I'm like, oh, man, you know, I don't know whether I should be watching it or not watching it. And, you know, yeah. so that's, um, so that's interesting. Yeah, definitely, if, you know, if you're, if you're listening later, check out our conversation on that. And another thing we want to ask, too. Uh, you know, no one's going to come on this show without answering these these next two questions. Any guest that we have on this show is going to have to answer that. And speaking of Kanye and music, we'll start with the music one. First question is if you could give us your five favorite music artists of all time. They don't have to be rappers if you listen to rap predominantly. I know you do. But five, five most influential, um, either the greatest or five most influential artists uh, in your life. Think about it. <laughs> You don't yeah, have to, man, and you don't you don't like, have to say Macadon, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is like crazy hard, man, because it, it's like people like individuals that I listened to before, I don't I'm, i probably don't listen to now. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like at one point they might have been influential, but now I'm I'm, I'm like, damn, why was I even listening to that person? You know, because depending on where I'm at in my stage in terms of content, like you know, I'm, I I want the content to be good in terms of what the person's talking about as opposed to just how it sounds. Well, you have a daughter now, so right? I, I, so it's different. So I have a daughter now. Yeah. Like my, my 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 focus is different. So sometimes I, I, I hear some stuff that I used to listen to. Don't be scared like, to say man. some of those names that you love on, on this show. <laughs> Back that ass up. Come on. You know you love Juve. <laughs> hey. And yeah, and I and I grew up in New Orleans, man. So oh yeah, Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne is like my all-time favorite artist. Wayne, Wayne's dope. But but I, I'm trying to I'm trying to change that. You okay. know what I'm saying? Because but but I would have to say Wayne. Mm-hmm. I was listening to Wayne since so Wayne was probably like 12 years old. That's what I listened to. Right. So I was just like a little kid. Yeah. Um. But I don't even know. I can come up with five, man. I, I listen to gospel rap too, so I like Lecrae a lot. Okay, Lecrae's dope. Um, I was a, I had, a, I had, a, I had a moment where I, I listened to a lot of Usher and I did, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put, I'm, I'm gonna put Usher up there. Usher yeah. deserves to yeah. be on the list, man. Yeah. He's talented. Yeah, <laughs> Usher created many moments for us growing up. Right, right. Usher was, Usher was big time. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it, man. And I, I have to, I have to drop this one, but I'm gonna at least mention it. R. Kelly. Oh, oh! You did it. Bruh. <laughs> R. 
R. Kelly was one of the top artists. He was, no. For me growing up. He was. He Everything was. he came out with was classic. Listen. I got I, I, I can't. Listen, I can't put him in the top five, no, I, but I have yeah. to give him a, a he's the a most honorable mention. No, I mean, from from a, <laughs> he's a dishonorable mention. <laughs> <laughs> from strictly from a music standpoint, I mean, come on, like classic after classic. There are times I'm walking around the house and I catch myself singing a song. I'm like, oh shit, that's I can't sing that song anymore. I better not do that in public, you know. And I hate skipping his songs when they come on a playlist or you something. Yeah, but you have to. And then when you listen to some, of the, go ahead. Yeah, sometimes I forget that I'm, I'm not supposed to be listening to our Every time I'm on, I'm, yeah. I'm stepping. I'm yeah. stepping in the name of love. And I'm like, oh, man. It's chaos, man. I can't. And, and it's crazy because, you know, it's like sometimes, you know, not to get too deep into this uh, before you give your fifth person. Don't forget. I know you only said four, by the way. Um, you hear That's some it. of the lyrics and you're like, Ooh, was he referring to, who was he referring to? Yeah. You know, and like, I'm not singing that, you know, so... So yeah, so I move on from that quickly. Okay, give us your fifth, and then we're gonna jump into one more, one more list, and then uh, we'll get you out of here. I'm gonna say Kirk Franklin, man. Okay. There's a lot of Kirk Franklin growing up, and there was, there was a time back in the day when he was he was just making classic hits. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Um, I can still go back to those Kirk times. has hits. Kirk has Kirk. hits. Yeah. And and the, the the second question is actually about athletes. Who are the athletes, the top five athletes for you um, growing up now? You know, who, who's had the most influence on you and who do you appreciate the most? So top five athletes, number one is LeBron. Mm-hmm. Like, LeBron, ever since he was in high school, he just had, he's just different, he's a different cat for real. Yeah. And his, his focus, his drive, his ability to continue to improve, that's, that's how I follow myself. I want to always improve no matter what, what I'm doing. I, and I feel like that's that's kind of what he what he's always been able to do. So I would say LeBron won, Joe Horn, receiver mm-hmm. uh, receiver for New Orleans Saints. He's just my favorite player for years. My favorite player for years, man. So Joe, Joe Horn, Charles Woodson, who I had the, the honor to play with. He's from that team up north, but Cool dude taught me a lot when I, when I was in the league. He's an Ohio uh, boy, though. Sometimes. <laughs> he's from Ohio, though. Yeah, and he's from, he is from Ohio. Mm-hmm. He used to he used to play, he used to be my safety, but he used to take off uh, and leave me leave me uncovered over the top a lot. But, <laughs> 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 but, when, he, but when, he, when he did, he always made the play. So right. some guys do it, and they just leave you high and dry, but he always went and made something happen. So, That's crazy. Uh, he was just an unbelievable, unbelievable athlete, man. He was older when I played with him, and I I, I was just amazed that he could, he could still move and play like that. Right. Um, Two more. I'm so, – I'm a Global Saints fan, man. So I'm gonna say Drew Brees. Okay. Drew Brees is probably my top top quarterback of all time. Yeah. Um, over Brady. Um, not because not because of stats and championships, man. Partly because I'm I was always a fan. Right. Yeah. He's a he was a dog, and he and he came from the Big Ten too. Mm-hmm. too. Another Big Ten boy. And then, well, five is. Baron Davis, man. Wow, yeah. Wow, that's a that's a yeah. Baron Davis was my favorite player before LeBron. Baron Davis was my favorite player for for a long time. I was a Hornets fan. Um, before they were kids, I was a Hornets fan. Um, 
One thing I say about Barron, I hope he doesn't get lost in NBA history because he was he was one of those guys that was just such a dog. But like he, you know, had he battled injuries. He never, you know, I don't even know if he ever played in the finals. So you never, you know, it's one of those guys that could easily get lost. But he was he was dope. He, he had like a more controlled Russell Westbrook game. You know, he could do it all. He, he yeah. could attack the rim. Yeah. He could shoot. Like he's a he's a monster. Yeah, and he's small. He was small too, yeah. right? It was small, and I I think he's lost already. When I went when when I used to play AAU, like everything I did was like I was trying to be like Barry. Right. Like everything I did, I couldn't obviously I was I was young. I couldn't dunk. I couldn't yell like he did. But like, I would try to quick step, beat beat you off the dribble, use use a little a little body, and get to the rack like Barry, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's my that's my top five. No. I got more, but. No, that's a good top yeah, five. Yeah, no, that's that's a solid top five. And, you know, we, let, let's, uh, you know, we don't want to keep you too long, and we want to uh, kind of get you out on the Ohio State, you know, team up north subject. Obviously, it's the biggest game this weekend, not just in the Big Ten, but nationally. It has a ton of implications. It's super important. So I just want to get a little bit of your thoughts on, you know, first of all, how many times did you play against the team up north? Did you win all those games? Uh, what was What was playing that team like? Uh, yeah, so I was, I was about to say five years because I registered. I only, I played in, in four of them. Uh, the first year was the biggest one, one versus two, Ohio State versus Michigan. Mm-hmm. That, like, set the stage with the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry coming from a guy who came from the South who didn't really, you know what I'm saying, know too much about it. I was, I was more LSU. LSU didn't really have a true rivalry, but it was more LSU-Alabama. Right. Uh, where, where, where I was. Um, the, and the ones I played in, I'm not sure I played in the close. Oh, yeah. So my redshirt freshman year was the, probably the closest game. They still had, uh, it still, there was, there was still the true Michigan before Rich Rod got there. Um, <laughs> played that pro style offense. Right. Mike Hart was a, a dog. He, he, he hit me so hard on a, on a, a corner blitz. I forgot where I was for a second, <laughs> and then when I when I remember where I was, I wanted to fight him because <laughs> not only did he hit me, he stood over me. He's like, "Now get up, get up!" Wow. And I was like, "Man, what?" Yeah. And disrespectful. I, I, I kind of woke up and was like, "All right, I, I didn't get that opportunity to fight him." And if I if I see him if I see him in the street, <laughs> it's still on. I'm not gonna fight him. Yeah. We might have a conversation now. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna talk to him about that one. I, I didn't appreciate that. But 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 the the game is like nothing nothing I ever really experienced um, in in the league or anywhere else. It's just the the focus and Chesslow did a good job of stressing every yard is worth two uh, yards. Every point is worth. I don't know how you say had that expression, but. He beat it in us, man. So we were always super, super emotional going into the game, uh, ready to play. Um, but I never lost against Michigan. Wow, Five physical pants. Uh, one of the receivers, uh, Greg Matthews, was one of them. He went to my rival high school, um, and he played for Michigan. And I was I got in a fight with him one of the games. So I'm always gonna <laughs> I'm always gonna enjoy that experience because he beat us when we were uh, in high school. I punched him in during the game when we played, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, I don't know, I, 
I loved it, man. It was, it was always always a great experience, man. It was always it's, it's hard to explain the feeling because you have a bunch of games, you know, a bunch of big games at Ohio State. Right. But it just it was just a different different feeling, different approach going into Michigan. I had a couple quick things. One is, uh, you know, you play corner at Ohio State. There's a rich tradition there. Um, how does that feel, and how is that going to impact this game? And then finally, what's the score prediction? Uh, can, can you say that again? I yeah, I said, lost, how do you think the secondary and the Michigan's receivers and the Ohio State secondary, you play corner here, you know, there's a rich tradition. How do you think that's going to impact the game, and what's your final score prediction? Okay. Yeah, I I think our DBs, although although I feel like last week, I mean, they don't get a lot of opportunities to make a bunch of plays. Like the last week, Fuller, Fuller could have, could have, I expect him to do a little bit more um, at safety. But yeah, I mean, it, it really comes down, I think, first and foremost, foremost it comes down to the trenches. But, um, obviously, if somebody, if, if a corner or a DB or somebody used to pick the Michigan game, I think that team wins the game. There's not too many, not too many, uh, big time, Plays like that in the in, the, in this uh, in this game, and if you do do it, it's, it's definitely a memorable play. Yeah, I really think we have the advantage in terms of our DBs, and I don't see I see Michigan being maybe the toughest opponent this year. I think tougher than Penn State, uh, just because of just because of the the hype and the emotion going into the game. But I think my prediction is like a like thirty five twenty one. Uh, maybe a two touchdown win for for Ohio State. I like uh, it. One of those games that feel that feel close, but they never really get too close. I like it. I like it. Well, Tindy, man, thank you so much for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. This is a this has been great. Uh, like I said, your story is amazing. Uh, we're inspired by you watching all the moves that you continue to make. Uh, seeing you on social media as a as a father and, and a husband and a business person and someone who has a job. I mean, multi dimensional. Very, very impressed uh, with everything that you have going on. Shout out your Twitter and Instagram handles are great follows. Oh, yeah, yeah. So my Twitter is Chimchek, C-H-I-M-C-H-E-K. And my um, Instagram is Chimchek35. So I had to put 35 at the end because somebody stole my my name. <laughs> that always happens. And check out the pit. The pit, those wings are really good. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Check out the pit for sure, man. We got some good stuff there. That's what's up. All right, Tim. Maybe one day we'll come and record there, man. Yo, I appreciate you you stopping by once again, uh, uh, calling in, and uh, we'll be right back. Let's go. Juice, juice, juice. Who got it? Juice, juice, juice. I got it. Juice, juice, juice. We got it. Them boys are loose, cause you know we keep it juiced up. Hey, juice, juice, juice. Exposing the farce. Welcome back to the Pilot Boys podcast and the Exposing the Farce segment. Who is Kanye West? Kanye West is a rapper. He's a producer, fashion icon. Maybe. He's married to Kim Kardashian. He has a rich history of both influential and timeless music and 
also controversial popular moments from like interrupting Taylor Swift's moment at the VMAs to blurting out George Bush doesn't care about black people during a Hurricane Katrina telethon. He's no stranger to controversial moments. So why are we talking about him today? Recently, Kanye started these pretty epic music concerts concerts called Sunday Services. The music is choir style and everyone there is dressed in his clothing. It looks a little bit cultish. And even more recently, he's been in the news for now establishing a tax-exempt religious entity. Tax-exempt. We're going to talk about that today. V, setting aside what you think about Kanye, I wanted to get some of your input on what you think about it. So specifically, here's my question to you. Is Kanye's Sunday service and Jesus is King album and kind of his overall rebirth, is it authentic or is it a ploy to gain tax advantages through the tax-exempt status of churches? Well, I did a lot of research into this because I didn't want to just go with my opinion. You know, I'm a Kanye fan, listen to his music for years now, and I feel like I have an understanding of Kanye, whether that's realistic or not to do that, considering I've never met the guy in person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think when you study Kanye's career from from a business standpoint, you see that he's always found that controversy sells. Mm-hmm. He's always been able to pivot from George Bush hates black people. Right. It almost seems like he knows how to draw attention to himself, mm-hmm. and he doesn't care if it's positive or negative as long as people are talking about Kanye. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what made me kind of look at this whole Sunday service thing and with kind of like a, a little bit of skepticism. skepticism. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, you look at his music. Jesus Walks was one of his first big records. Mm-hmm. But even in that record, he's, he's talking about consumerism, mm-hmm. right? And Kanye, if you listen to Kanye's music, one of the most consistent themes is consumerism and Kanye, Kanye. Kanye, Kanye, <laughs> I am the greatest, I am this, I'm God. He actually called himself God. Yeah, Kanye loves Kanye. Yep. And so, you know, you look at these religious entities, and that's what a lot of these religious entities have. They have a figurehead who is a narcissist, just like Kanye is, right? It starts with, through the, the word of God, but it's really the word of me. Um, so that, it, this religious entity thing, I don't think he's, He's faking the fact that he's religious, but I do think that he's thinking about the economic gain here, right? All that controversy you just talked about hurt his brand reputation quite a bit, Mm -hmm. um, especially among some of his core fans. And I felt like this was kind of this rebirth was a combination of things. One, how do I solve these problems with this controversy that I just had and people not liking me anymore? Oh, what do a lot of people say? Oh, I found God. Mm. So there's skepticism there. Mm-hmm. But then again, you go back to his music. He's talked about God throughout his right. throughout his music. So you question it. But then you look at the actual numbers. And yeah. Let's get into numbers. These religious entities in America are unbelievable when you look at the numbers, right? They said that um, according to Georgetown and poll, I mean, Georgetown study, sorry, not poll, that religious entities make $378 billion annually. That's more than Amazon. Wow. Um, and are valued at $1 trillion. Wow. Um, and then the other thing is that they say that there are about $85 billion in missed taxes from religious entities a year, which could solve world hunger. Mm. When you say missed taxes, you mean like tax if they weren't tax exempt? If they weren't tax exempt. And, and you know, I was going to let you talk about the tax exempt. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, when I went on uh, the IRS website, I'm actually on it right now, and I was looking to see 
you know, how do they define the word church, the term church uh, in the IRS code? And you realize it's kind of a vague definition. It's like a 14-point definition. Um, I'll just read a couple of them. One of them is a distinct legal existence. Another one is a recognized creed and form of worship. Uh, then they have distinct religious history, ordained uh, organization of ordained ministers, regular religious services. Uh, so those are those are some of the ones. But then at the bottom it says this, which I think is very interesting. It says the IRS generally uses a combination of these characteristics together with other facts and circumstances to determine whether an organization is considered a church for federal tax purposes. And what that means to me is that it could be anything. It doesn't, they don't have any definition. And I understand why. I mean, I think there's, you know, some other implications of that. You know, they don't want to necessarily try to create a definition because all religious entities aren't necessarily the same. They don't want to create something that potentially discriminates against another religious entity. But the reality is that it seems fairly simple and easy to, you know, to fit into those categories and all of a sudden, you know, avail yourself of that tax exempt status. And what you say, you're talking about 80 something million dollars in mixed ta missed taxes, if I'm not mistaken, um, that they're not capturing on. And so from Kanye's perspective, he's probably like, all right, well, you know, I can do what I'm doing. I can still release my music. I can still be popular. And yet I could take my, uh, advantage of these tax benefits as well. Yeah. And I think he's mentioned that, right? Kanye's never been shy about saying that he wants to be a billionaire, but he's also been an artist that's shown us that he's willing to put his heart, soul and all his money into his products. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he said that he was $35 million in debt in 2018. Yeah. He said he found God and there's this prosperity doctrine and that now he got a $68 million tax refund. Um, this past, this past year. So through his statements, he's drawing the controversy to himself. And then the other thing that he's doing is that he's selling his merchandise, mm -hmm. calling them church clothes, selling $240 hoodies, $50 socks that say Jesus walks on them. But see, here's the question I have then. It's like, you know, people talk shit about Kanye all the time and I'm not necessarily his biggest fan right now, but, but when I look at what he's doing, I feel like He's doing what the, everybody else is doing. With look at Jeff fucking Bezos. He's he did Amazon pay taxes last year. They didn't pay a dollar in taxes last year. Look at everybody. All these other Fortune 500 companies. They are pretty much just figuring out a way to market whatever products they have. That so long as it's not illegal and taking advantage of an existing system that they didn't create. What's wrong with it? Even if even if he is hustling, what is what's wrong with what he's doing? Or how is it different from what everybody else is doing in this country? You know, I always like to talk about capitalism. So mm -hmm. from a strictly capitalist standpoint, like there's absolutely nothing wrong with what he's doing. And mm -hmm. if you're going to criticize Kanye, why aren't you criticizing Joel Osteen? Mm -hmm. Right. But I do think there is kind of a moral question mm -hmm. here. Right. Is this are you really trying to preach the word of God? Are you trying to preach the gospel of Kanye? Mm -hmm. Like he rewrote some book and then selling it for $1,400, like some part of the Bible. I'm not um, familiar enough with the Bible to, to quote what he wrote, mm -hmm. but it's like, that's kind of the, the dilemma here, right? It's like, there's a moral dilemma, especially for religious people. Are you genuinely authentic? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with preaching the word of God, but is this about God or is this about Kanye's clothing line? Is it about Kanye's bank account? Is it about Kanye's creativity? And that's a dilemma I don't think is necessarily for, for everyone else to answer. Mm -hmm. 
because people are spending money on him. People believe in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but- I think at the end of the day, really, if you look at it, especially like you said, in the free market, and you know, that's one thing about capitalism, you know, and especially free market capitalism is that things can rear their ugly head. Things that ideas that start off as pure or things that start off with no necessary, not necessary any intentions can be corrupted. And and then people have to start, it actually becomes your responsibility to start figuring out where the angles are, right? Especially when you have shareholders and you have investors, they want you to figure out the tax breaks. They want you to figure out, okay, how much can we donate to charity this year to get a write-off? Those are things you have are responsible of, for figuring out. Amazon is for profit and they don't pay any taxes. It's crazy. Exactly. So that's the thing. I think, you know, I, I, I see what Kanye's doing. I don't know whether it's from the heart or whether it's not. Personally, it does not move me at all. I'm not moved by anything that he's doing. I'm not even really paying attention to it. I loved his old music. I'm not really into his music now. He can do his thing. It is what it is. Uh, but one thing that I think people have to definitely think about is what is one of the things that you just touched on is, you know, there's a there's a business side of this thing, which is it's fairly clear. It's making money. And there's also a moral side. And that's, you know, not necessarily for us to decide or determine, but that is, those are kind of the two sides of this thing. And the reality is, is that if he's not, if this isn't from the heart and he's hustling or whatever it is that he's doing, you know, he'll have to answer yes, to that he will. someday, shape or form. So when we get back, we will talk to a special guest, Van Lathan. Van Lathan was a former on-air personality at TMZ who had a very epic moment with Kanye. You'll hear it when we get back. Thanks for listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple and Spotify and follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Pilot Boys on YouTube. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Our next guest is a huge media personality, producer, and podcast host of The Red Pill. He was an on-air personality for TMZ for many years and now has become an on-air personality for Will Packard's show, Central Ave. In 2018, his popularity rose after he confronted Kanye West when Kanye said, quote, slavery was a choice live during a TMZ taping. He has now become one of the most outspoken voices in entertainment, and we are blessed to have him on the show. Let's welcome Van Lathan. Van! Van! What's up, Van? What's going on, my man? Yo, how you doing, man? I'm well, my brother. Well, out here in a rainy Los Angeles, it's raining today, but no, we're still doing our thing. Nobody, wait, notice, if you notice, whenever it rains, hashtag LA rain trends because nobody knows how to conduct themselves when water falls from the sky out here, so I gotta be careful. So are you over here, just so I'm, I'm sure, are you, are you over here complaining about Los Angeles weather to us Ohio boys here in November? Is that what's happening Crazy. right now? I'm not complaining. I'm just letting you guys know that it is a spooky time to be in L.A. because of the rain. I know that you guys are probably with polar bears clunkered down in Tennessee of snow. But, yeah, it's a little inclement here. Is that song, uh, It Never Rains in Southern California, does that song need to be banned now? The lie. Proven a lie right now as we speak. <laughs> Hilarious. All right, let's get back on topic. So, I want to start with this clip, this exchange between you and Kanye West. Hold on. When you hear about slavery for 400 years, for 400 years, that sounds like a choice. It's like we're we're mm-hmm. mentally in prison. I like the word prison because slavery 
goes too too direct to the uh, idea of blacks. It's like slavery, Holocaust, Holocaust Jews, uh, slavery is blacks. So Jesus prison Christ. is something that unites us as one race. You're entitled to your opinion. You're entitled to believe whatever you want. But there is fact and real world, real life consequence. And while you are making music and being an artist and living the life that you've earned, the rest of us in society have to deal with these threats to our lives. We have to deal with the marginalization that has come from the 400 years of slavery that you said for our people was a choice. Frankly, I'm disappointed and brother, I am unbelievably hurt by the fact that you have morphed into something to me that's not real. So Van, despite all the great things that you've done, all the great things that you'll ever do, whether you like it or not, you're always going to be tied to Kanye West somehow because of this moment. I mean, that exchange was literally like one of the most epic and viral moments in like the media this last decade. So I just wanted to hear from you a little bit. You just tell us about that exchange, you know, what, what you were feeling, what the aftermath was like. Talk to us about it. Uh, well, in the moment, I wasn't feeling uh, much other than bewilderment. You know, I think that I um, I wasn't expecting to hear some of the things that I heard coming out of Ye's mouth at that particular point. Mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, everyone that listens to hip-hop, and really everyone that listens to music over the last 15 years, um, has been in some way influenced or intrigued by what goes on with Kanye West. Um, me, personally... I was a gigantic fan, more like a disciple almost, mm-hmm. um, of him because the music had a, such a strong message, and it was one of the first times that 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 message was something I could completely understand and agree with, and you know, resonate with. When the college dropout came out, it was around the time that I was getting out of school, wondering what my life was going to become. So I really connected to the music and to the person, the guy who seemingly was um, this cultural force. Uh, for good and fairness um, and almost, I don't know, artistic revolution. Yeah. There, there, there seems to be a lot there. And I have him in front of my face kind of in that state saying those things was just like a punch in the gut. So, you know, for me in that moment, it was completely genuine. Mm-hmm. And it came from a place not really even of anger, but more of bewilderment um, and you know, and I'd say disappointment, but more to the point, I just wanted him in that moment to know how his words were affecting people. Yeah. And I think yeah. I was able to get that across. And that was the great thing about it, too, because I think, you know, one of the things, and this is one of the reasons why it went viral, is because I think it was very clear to everyone who was watching or listening to it that it was straight from the heart. You weren't doing this for the cameras. It was not a show or a production you were putting on. It was almost like you were just talking to him like, oh, my God, you have so much power and you don't even realize how much power you have. And I'm going to sit here and tell you right now, and I don't care if you hate me for the rest of, for the rest of our lives, but this is more important to me right now than I say this. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was just, in the, it's, it's what you would want to, I think a lot of people look at the moment as if they were in that moment, it's, it's what you would want to believe that you would say. Right. 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 Uh, and, I said it in that particular time, in that particular space. Maybe if I was at a different point in my life, either earlier or maybe even later, maybe I wouldn't have reacted, but I'm glad I did then. I'm glad it was something that was able to uh, sort of stick. I don't really actually mind um, the fact that 
it's going to be one of the things that I'm most remembered for. Yeah. Uh, or that people mostly associate with, with, with me. Nah, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, if, if you get a one-hit TV show, if you get a one big moment, at least you always have that. So, although we're doing more things and pushing my career forward in a lot of ways, um, it was important for people to know that they could trust me that I would speak up for them. Yeah. And how do you think that message was received? From Yay? Yeah. Uh, I think it was received, I know exactly how it was received. Him and I, kept in contact for a while. You know, I, I emailed him some time after that. Um, I recognized sort of the uh, the way of the moment and how his state might have been going into it, and I wanted to make sure that um, it didn't feel right for me to have some sort of professional come up by calling out another black man. I think that's too obvious. That's, that, that's too often, should I say, uh, the way that things in America work. They want a public mandingo fight between two brothers. Mm-hmm. And then the winner uh, gets to reap all the benefits from that or the perceived winner um, because, yeah, you're still winning in life pretty much every way over me. So uh, <laughs> the perceived winner um, uh, gets, gets some sort of spoils from that. And that's not why I tend to do. I don't want to make a career and make a living out of cultural discourse with people who look like me. Um, so me and him talk. And, you know, we, we had some discussions. But he is where he is now, and I, I am where I am at now. We, we're both pushing the culture forward in ways that we think are, are our best. And, and speaking of where he is now, you know, I want to get your thoughts on on Sunday service. You know, you have a chance. You've one of the few people who've really had a, a chance to interact with Kanye in a in a real sense. You buy it? Um, do you think it's genuine, um, or do you think it's just another stunt by Kanye? You know, it's not for me to buy. Um, they're, 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 everybody has the limits of what they understand. And I was taught very on, very early on in life that one of the limits, uh, that I have in other, in understanding this providence is what God does and how God moves. My, my, uh, function as a human being is to submit to the will of God and submit to the, the grace of God. And I can't really look at anyone else um, and then intellectually decide how that grace is moving for them. Mm. Um, and so for me personally, it looks peculiar like everything else that Gay does looks. I mean, he dresses peculiar. The music, even when it first came out, it was like, it was, you know, you could say I'm the gap like Banana Republican Old Navy yeah, because it was. Most death on the song with Freeway and all of that stuff like that. He's never been conventional in anything that he's ever done. Right. So whereas I would never uh, look at the faith of anybody who was Hindu or Muslim or Buddhist um, or Jewish and question their motives, I certainly won't question his. The only thing I will say uh, very strongly is that uh, if it's not genuine um, and if it's not uh, on the level, uh, he'll have a much severer judge to answer to than Twitter. Yeah, that's real. T- that's real talk. That's real talk. Yeah. So, so that that's that's all. You know, that that that's that for me. But listen, if 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 he's found God and whatever people worship, you know, I know there are a lot of different than that. You, you know, that that's for him. Do you like it? Like you're a Kanye fan first and foremost. So, do you like the new content? Do you like the transition uh, in the music? Uh, I mean, musically, the music that just came out is not for me. 
I mean, I, I'm not going to highlight I've been jamming Jesus is King. That's not for me. And it's not necessarily because of the subject matter. I like a lot of rap that has to do with spirituality. I like what Lecrae does. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even some of the crit stuff, you know, like it, it well, I guess the crit is not really there. Crit more, I wouldn't say that it has to do with any Christianity, but I, there, there are, my point is, there are certainly Christian rappers or rappers that are a little bit more spiritually based. Music, period, that I enjoy. I mean, even Life of Pablo uh, had heavy, 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 uh, spiritual influence, yeah, of course, chance and all that stuff, all of that. I, I dig it. This just musically and sonically wasn't really for me. Right. One last question. One last question on Kanye. Then we'll move on. It, you know, if you were to encounter him today, you know, and you were able to have a conversation with him, and I'm not saying it would necessarily play out the way the last one played out, but what would you what would you want to say to him, or do you feel like you said everything you needed to say? Now, I don't have anything else I need to get off my chest to him. I would just say the same thing I'll say to any other brother of mine, which is, I hope you're doing great. Hope your family's doing great. Wish you much success um, and, and, and prosperity. Like, I don't, I said everything that I need to say to that brother. I, you know, his family looks healthy. Uh, his, 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 his business is thriving. As far as I'm concerned, he is doing well. The Trump stuff, I don't understand, but that's him. Right. Okay, so so let's transition into uh, the t- uh, your work at TMZ. You know, you were at TMZ for a long period of time. You know, one of the most popular people there, and also had you know a great career there. And one of the things that was always interesting to me is you guys seemed to always break stories before anybody, and it wasn't even just necessarily always sports stories um, or media stories. It was any type of story, and you guys always had the inside. And I just wonder, you know, what was that like? I, what was the was there a pressure to kind of find the stories or to get the stories? What was the process of that like? And why do you think you guys were, were breaking stories before so CNN? You, you're going to understand this better than a lot of people, right? Because you play football, right? Yeah. Okay. So what happens on the football field if you don't make plays? They bench you. They bench you, right? Yep. And if you, if you don't make plays long enough, you won't be on the team, right? 100%. So after a while, there's no pressure in making plays. You either make them or you don't, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there becomes a mechanism by which you understand how to make a play, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, 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 you're, if you're prepared, right, you play quarterback. So if you're prepared and you know that there's a quarterback that's a little iffy with his eyes, you might look in the backfield a little bit more on how you're going to be successful, right? Right. If you know a guy has, if, if you're up, if you if you're matched up against a receiver who really has great moves on the line, you might be a little bit more physical. But what you have to do is be fluid to be successful. Mm-hmm. There's no particular one way that TMZ breaks stories. There's no one way that a producer at TMZ would break stories. Right. Like, the, the, there's no there's no pressure because a, after you've made plays, you know how to make them. Right. The question is, just like sports, um, it's the same as it was in the office. It's the desire to make plays. Mm. It's the desire to break stories mm-hmm. that, to me, separates what they would do uh, at the office against other people. Well, speaking of that, that's, on- Van, that's actually that brings me to a very uh, a great point uh, that I wanted to ask you about too. Did you ever feel like, you know, your desire 
you know, did you ever battle with your desire to make plays, so to speak, with what could this story potentially do for the family or the the people that I'm reporting on? Were you ever like, fuck, I don't want to break this story. Like, I, I know it's a great one, but no. Did you ever have any moral about moral kind of battle there? I mean, there were there were things that I specifically wouldn't do. Mm. I mean, to, to be to be honest with you, that was to me part of my um part of my my biggest responsibility in the office to a degree was to make sure uh, that that kind of stayed in line. Now, listen, I'm not going to take. I wasn't an editorial voice there. Um, I had a lot of stature there. Anyone that was working there will tell you that. Mm-hmm. And my opinion and my input on on stories and particular stories was was always valued and always taken. But if they were going to run something, they were going to run it. For Van personally, uh, there were certainly things that I wouldn't do. Yeah, And that has to do with the, the, the unfortunate thing is stories that are going to get ran, right? Yeah. Because there's documentation and paperwork like uh like tied to them. Like if you get a DUI, you're going on the site. Yeah. Period. Like there's no way to stop it because it's it's, it's public information, it's public knowledge. The the question becomes when there are things that people won't know until you tell them, mm. gauging from an editorial and a journalistic perspective how much they need to know and the way that they need to know it. Right. Um, but those those situations, those 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 decisions are always going to come um, from the top down. Yeah. Are you bummed out when you see your favorite athlete walking a line and you know he's he's drunk and or your favorite singer? Yeah, sure, you're bummed out, but that's just the game uh, in celebrity news. And to be honest with you, it's a game that I'm that I feel pretty fortunate that I don't have to play anymore. So speaking of that, actually, that's, you know, w- tell us what you are doing now. And I know you're, you know, you're at, like I said, I mentioned earlier, you're on Central Ave, Will Packer's show. You have the Red Pill podcast, which is popping, dope podcast. Everybody should check that out. But I know you, you know, I've known you for a while, and I know that you're not stopping there. I know you're an ambitious dude. So tell us what you got going on and what else is, what else uh, is in the works. It, it, it's, there's a million things happening right now, and um, I'm actually – it's weird to be in this like position. I'm actually just so unbelievably fortunate and grateful for the support that I've received, uh, and for every for exactly the way things went after parting ways with CMB, it went exactly the way it was supposed to go. But we have Central Live, we got the Red Hill Podcast. Podcast probably moving to a much bigger platform all very soon. Um, and we just got tons of other things that we're working on. I just guarantee that people the book. As been sold, so I just guarantee that if people stick around and stick it out in 2020, there's going to be tons of content. You're going to be seeing me a lot more than you ever did before. So I'm very, very excited about it. And sincerely, sincerely could not be more grateful uh, for the last month, six weeks of my life. It really has been a, a tremendous journey and a tremendous eye-opening experience. I don't love it. In business, we talk about leverage a lot, and I think you really leveraged your TMZ situation very well and knew what you wanted to do with it, and now you're moving on, and that's what we all have to do. But before you leave, we got a couple questions for you that are just kind of fun. Who are your sure. top five rappers, first of all? Your top five top rappers? Top five rappers right now? Of all time. Of all, all time. time. 
Oh, top five rappers of all time. Okay, so, it, okay. When you say top five rappers, what's our criteria here? Okay, so. Are saying rappers? Define your criteria okay, while ahead. you're going through it. No, or, or or you can say, like, the one top five that had either had the most influence on you. I think that's more important to us, actually. Yeah. Not just, like, a random list. Like, the top five. And it actually, it doesn't even have to be just rappers. It could be artists that had the most influence on you in your life. All right, top five artists that have had the most influence on me. Uh, okay. Uh, so number one is Kanye West. Wow. As, 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 as I'm sure he grew up to hear that, and that would be weird to people, but um, the number one, the, the, the artist that I'm most connected with in my entire life uh, has been historically Kanye West. Mm-hmm. I was, that that was that that that's just the truth. Now I am completely disconnected from the experience of Kanye West in the last um, five, not nice and five, maybe three years. Yeah. But it will probably take ten, ten more years of him being like this to undo all the time <laughs> throughout my twenties and my early thirties that I was connected to the music. Right. Uh, the I would say. Second after that, wow, it's probably Pac. Okay. Pac's uh, big on my and list. I would say I would say Pac just because, you know, I was sixteen when Pac passed away. Um Were you in LA? That entire time I was no, I was living in Louisiana. Okay. Um that entire time was just it, it was an amazing time to watch uh an artist be that defiant. Uh, in the face of society, right. and it sort of re- recalibrated my mind to what using your voice actually means. Mm. Um, number three is uh, what a couple of the most influenced, probably Rakim. Mm. Uh, just because when I really started getting into hip hop, I attributed it sort of the change in hip hop from. <laughs> I got to fly shoes to being lyrical. Right. To like, you know what I'm saying? To 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 like Rockin's influence and I really got kinda deep into that. Yeah. Um four would be Jay. Yeah. Uh and Jay Z, is it more know? of as a rapper or is it more of kind of an entrepreneur, business person, personality, or is it all of it put together? It, it, it it's just the watching somebody be that type of success story. Mm-hmm. Because if if you're asking for the top five rappers of all time, there's a list that's lyrical. Mm-hmm. There's a list as artists, and then there's a list as success. Right. Even if Jay Z's not the greatest rapper of all time, he's certainly the most successful artist of all time. The first most successful rapper artist of all time. So, just watching Jay and his, and once again, Jay Z is a, is a guy who, at this particular time, I have major disagreements with. Mm-hmm. Um major disagreements with but you can't you can't you don't get to, just because you disagree with someone you don't get to take away what they've done so he would still be there uh and then five um five would probably be and i i, I kept it to rap because if we go outside of rap then we're gonna be on the phone no, that's cool all day long uh five you know i'm gonna be real with you man it's probably Master P. Mm. I like that like, one, man. Well, you're from Louisiana too, and so I mean, I'm sure right. you saw that rise out there and the impact out there, also. 
Right, like, you guys got to understand what it meant to wake up, to be listening to Master P, watching P, talk the way you talk, or the way, you know, at least the way your homies talk, dress the same thing, dress the way you dress, be right down from South Louisiana, and i never forget, one morning I'm up, and I'm watching Headline News. In Headline News, the guy goes, the top five albums in the country uh, for, for this week are blah, 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 at number five, blah, 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 at number four, blah, 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 at number three, and at number two, Ghetto D by Master <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? Right, right, right. I was like, I was like, they see us like that? Like, we all like that? Right, right. And so and I was tripping. So I, and with Pete and everything he's been able to accomplish, and I'm proud enough to be able to call him a friend of mine now. Yeah. So whatever what he's able to accomplish, he has definitely made a huge, huge impact on me. He's definitely that's, about it, about it. That's dope. Okay, let's get to, real quick, so let's get to your top five athletes of all time. Uh, and it could just be people you enjoy watching. I mean, maybe they had influence on you in your, when you're younger days, your athletic career, but top five athletes. Okay. Top five athletes I enjoy watching of all time. Number one, Kobe Bryant, my favorite athlete of all time. Mm-hmm. Kobe, destruction, just everything. I watched Kobe from his first dribble to his last dribble, my favorite athlete of all time. Uh... Uh, number two, um, I would have to probably say Jordan. Uh, that makes sense. I was gonna say, how could you say Kobe and not say Jordan? It was yeah. like I, 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 that We're wouldn't about make to get sense. into it. Okay, right. all right, all right. <laughs> uh, n- number number two would be Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is Drew Brees, man. Just because Drew Brees, uh, Drew Brees making the list the, today. Yeah. Yeah, Drew Brees, Drew Brees did something. He did the impossible, man. He did it for the Super Bowl to the world. Right, <laughs> He right. got to do it the list. Yeah. Uh, Drew Brees is certainly up there. Um, of all time, like, uh, four is, uh, let me think. Four is Ali. Mm-hmm. And that's just because of everything that Ali meant. I never really got a chance to see Ali. I would go back and watch Ali fight. And right. five, bro, uh, five, I would have to say right now, five is a tie between uh, Joe Burrow. We're going to get into that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, between Joe Burrow Tyron Matthew, Patrick Peterson. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're cheating now. Now you're cheating, bro. Now you're cheating. That's top 92, bro. I asked for top five. You can't name every player that's ever played for LSU. You're going to say Jamarcus Jamarcus Russell soon, man. Matt Flynn, Skylar Green. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And let me guess. Let me guess. Ed Orgeron, greatest coach of all time, right? Let me guess. No, I mean, no, I, I, listen, I think Coach O, not, not the greatest coach of all time, but I, I, I do think Coach O has really carved himself out a legacy. For sure. In, 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 in LSU, that's like, uh, you, you can't use, no one, no one could have written this. No, any LSU fan down there right now that tells you that they want o- Ogeron to be the head coach of the Tigers is lying. Yeah. 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 He's a perfect fit, though, for that program and that, that culture. Perfect fit. And that's actually perfect, perfect, seg- perfect segue to our last thing before we get you out of here. 
You know, obviously you're a big LSU fan. You know, we're huge Ohio State fans. Last night, the new, or actually two days ago, I keep doing it, uh, the, the CFP rankings came out, and Ohio State actually jumped to LSU. Ohio State's ranked number one, LSU's ranked number two. It doesn't necessarily matter that much at the end of the day because if Ohio State wins out and LSU wins out, we all make the college football playoff. But what are your feelings on kind of the college football season, maybe the college football rankings, and how you think things are going to play out this season? Um, look, I, I think that there's a lot of business to be taken care of for both Ohio State and LSU before you can start bellyaching about something that really doesn't matter that much right now. Yep. I think it's interesting. Uh, like, I, I watched and read some things earlier that made me look at it a little bit differently. I think it's interesting to figure out whether or not the college football playoff committee is trying to uh, avoid a situation where there would be a potential LSU-Alabama rematch um, at number one and number four, mm-hmm. if that's something that they're thinking about, or if they're just looking at Ohio State um, and with the eye test, uh, making the determination that they're a more complete team than LSU is right now. I'm being an objective college football fan. Uh, I know a lot about our particular team, yeah. and so I know about some of the guys on the defense that are really banged up, uh, and, and 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 some of the other positions that we've had, like you know having Michael Divinity lead the team and not having some of our guys out there. But regardless of that, the defense hadn't played in a way that's been impressive to a lot of people. So because that's the case, uh, any ranking that LSU has right now is actually on the title. We have a home game this weekend mm-hmm. against Texas A&M. It's an opportunity for the defense to go out um, and, and, and prove that they're a top-flight unit in the country and that we're, we deserve, we're deserving of a number-one ranking. But it's all going to play out on the field. Uh, right now, I, it, it was a weird week to do it, uh, being that, you know, the backup quarterback came in for at, at Penn State. Penn State's a good football team. That was a quality win, to, in my opinion, yeah. um, for Ohio State. Uh, but I also don't really think that, even though the, the, the win over Alabama uh, in Tuscaloosa was impressive, it doesn't ensure you goodwill for the rest of the season. You still got to go out there on the field and yeah. play. But the team looks great. They're very confident. We should be getting healthier. So whatever the rankings are right now, we'll see what they will be in a couple of weeks. Well, the other thing, too, is if you guys make it to the national championship game, it's actually in the Superdome, I believe, which is crazy. Because when Ohio State played LSU in the Superdome in the national championship in 2008, it was a disaster. You couldn't hear anything. It was almost like playing a home game. Not making any excuses, but – you know, that's something that you guys I mean, can all look but, forward to. But, to. but to be real with you, like, we played Alabama in the Superdome in 2011, and we couldn't advance the ball past the 15, so the 15, past the 50. So the, uh, yeah. the, players on the, uh, the players on the field matter. We'll see how it goes, though. You guys got a strong team. We got a strong team. I mean, there's some other teams out there that, that, that I'm sure everybody in South Carolina believes that the real number one team has uh, – Trevor Lawrence at, uh, at quarterback, so yeah. we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you've definitely proven that you're a true LSU fan through this conversation. So I just, you know, over the last decade or so, um, your offense has, has sucked, and now your defense seems to be struggling. How does it feel to have a real quarterback? It's weird. <laughs> I mean, I'll be, honest with you, I'll be honest with you. Like, it's like when, when a guy drops back to feel like something good's going to happen, it's like a weird thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, bro, it's, I, I, like, I, like that's I how remember, Browns fans feel. <laughs> right, exactly. So, like, when a guy drops back that, 
to, to, to really have the feeling that something good's going to come of a, of a dropback is it, weird. And it, in the length of time that it happened, to, to, to the fact that, you know, we didn't have even a competent passing offense, and now we have probably the best passing offense in college football. It's just been something remarkable to see. But all the credit goes to Joe Brady. <laughs> He's a Buckeye. Yeah. Oh, don't, you know we're taking credit for him. Just so you know, we still claim him here in Ohio. So if you guys win, we're we're, we're getting rings too. <laughs> I'm, gonna be, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be honest with you though. I, like I heard a lot. I heard a lot of Ohio State fans tell me that that uh, that uh, that you know Ohio is taking credit for. Joe Burrow's wins, and I'm saying, all right, well then, is Georgia taking credit for the wins that you guys are getting? The problem is that Georgia, Georgia didn't develop fields, though. That's the only difference. Like Ohio State actually really did develop Joe Burrow, and he's from Ohio, and he claims it. He claims it too. That can't be true because the 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 I, I would say that that's definitely not true. The reason why I would say it's not true is number one, we played Burrow last year. Mm-hmm. So being that we played we we played Burrow for a full season last year. And he was okay. Like, yeah. what developed Strong point. LSU, Coach Oderon, going to the Saints, getting Joe Brady, giving <laughs> him in a year and our No, you guys get some – listen, of course you get some credit for it, but what I'm saying is the difference is that Joe Burrow was – Joe Burrow, honestly, was probably going to be the starter at Ohio State before he got hurt. And then him and Haskins, who was a first-round pick, got in a battle that he did, ended up losing. So it wasn't like – we didn't ship him away to keep from. That's a totally different kind of scenario. Georgia no, kept no, from. I'm be honest, but but, but, the, but the, rea- the reality is that Justin Fields couldn't beat out Jake Fromm. Because they weren't Georgia. developing but, him. That's what I'm saying. But but, but the, the, the reality is that when they recruited him, when they recruited him, by the way, if you have to go back and watch how he played there and how they used him, when they recruited him, they expected him to go get the job or at least the challenge for it, and he didn't. He not, he not, he's, he's, he's okay, so tell me why why is why is Justin Fields got, playing the way he's, he's, got, he's playing now? He's got, why is he playing the way he's playing now? For the same reason that Joe, Joe, Joe Burrow is. He's got better offensive coaching. Joe Burrow was developed in Baton Rouge. <laughs> no. Now, I don't know. No. I don't know. I, I mean, that's, that's, that's a fact. No. Because... because because, because the reality is that they've never Joe developed Burrow a quarterback was, ever, but they developed Joe Burrow. Come on, man. But but look, here's the deal though. Here's the deal though. If Joe Burrow was so such a finished product when he like when he got to, to LSU, then he'd have the season this year that he was having last year. Or vice versa. He, he would have played this way last year, but he didn't. No, I mean, last he was a first-year starter. He was a first-year starter. No, look, obviously you guys get some credit for it, right? So I'm not no, – no, 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 this is tough no, to take no, 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 no. This is – no, no, no. They get all – No. Credit. No way. Hell no. Like, Hell no. Your fanhood's coming out. Here's the way it goes. If they don't get all the credit for making him into what he is, right, because once again, last year he was – I'm not talking about in camp. He was on the field, right? Last year he played terrible at Alabama. The, co- the coaches changed the scheme, brought him along, and now he's doing what he's doing. If he doesn't get that credit, then Ryan Day doesn't get the credit for making Justin Fields what he is. I, you can't have it both ways. Well, I guess what I'm saying is that I think I think Joe Burrow would have been what he is with Ryan Day as well, and I'm not convinced that Justin Fields would have been what he is with at Georgia. And I, I think that's pretty obvious. That's just your fanship. <laughs> nah, Joe, Joe Burrow worked with Ryan Day, too. The, the, the fact 
the facts are that he was down there in Georgia, which has a pedestrian passing attack, and he couldn't be out the guy that they had. He went to the portal, came to Ohio State, better scheme, better system. Like, um, for whatever reason, Burrow couldn't get on the field at Ohio State. They had a, they had a first-round top-ten draft pick. He came here, struggled, not struggled, played well. You watched him get better last year. If you watched mm-hmm. Joe Burrow at the beginning of the season Yeah, yeah, season he definitely year, did. But by the time we got to the Fiesta Bowl, I'm pretty he sure, was throwing the ball but I think you would agree. Well. You would agree with me. I guess the last thing on this, we could go all day. You would agree with me though that if if Joe Burrow was able to stay and get developed under Ryan Day, which you've been able to see what Ryan Day is able to do, that he also would have been a beast, right? You agree with that? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm, being, no, I'm being for real. Okay. That's, like, that's conjecture. Okay. I, I go off what actually what happened. Actually happened. That, All right. That's fair, fair enough. Fair, yeah. fair enough. Man, no, seriously, this has been great. This has been fun. Thank you so much for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. Hi, my brother. Yo, everybody check out the Red Pill podcast. It's one of the most popping podcasts out right now. It's available everywhere. Stay tuned to his uh, social media, which is at Van Lathan, for any updates that he has coming on. Van, we'll talk to you soon, man. Appreciate you, man. All right, peace, guys. All right, thanks. We'll be right back. Let's go. Juice, juice, juice. Who got it? Juice, juice, juice. I got it. Juice, juice, juice. We got it. Them boys are loose, cause you know we keep it juiced up. Hey, juice, juice, juice. Who got it? Juice, juice, juice. I got it. Juice, juice, juice. We got it. Them boys are loose, cause you know we keep it juiced up. Hey. Welcome back to the Pilot Boys podcast. We're here with our resident college football analyst, Zach Smith. Zach is the former wide receivers coach at Ohio State and now podcast host of Menace to Sports. Zach, welcome to the show. Always good to be here. Thanks. What's up, Zach? Nothing, man. Just hanging out. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. Let's jump, let's jump right into it. The game, right? The game. Yeah, this is the big one. Ohio State versus that team up north. A lot at stake, you know, for both programs. Year after year, it feels like that's always the case. The last regular season game of the year, both teams are ranked. Ohio State's number one. Michigan is ranked number 13. Growing up, this game always felt like the national championship to me. You know, I was, I was born and raised in Columbus. V, you were in Toledo. I was actually in Toledo, so I was at the border. Yeah. So, so you know, I mean, everyone like knows. Half of my school was Michigan fans, and the other half was Ohio State fans. So I would have bets every year. $5 for the Ohio State Michigan game. When I was growing up, we were losing more than we were winning. Yeah. yeah. So I, I ended up paying a lot of those $5. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you've been betting over the last decade or two decades, you've been making a lot of money. So, Zach, you know, let's jump right into it, honestly, because, you know, we know a lot about the rivalry. We've seen stories on it. We, we hear things about it year after year. But one thing you don't really get to, to get is into the – you know, kind of the depths of it from a coaching perspective, yeah. right? Yeah, behind the walls. Yeah, behind the walls. So how do coaches actually prepare during game week? That's question number one. And then question number two is, when does the actual preparation start? We've heard it really is a 365-day thing. Is that true? Yeah, it definitely is. It's definitely a 365-day thing. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle. I mean, mm-hmm. not only every game week when you walk down the halls is there a team up north rivalry wall. There is the countdown clock. Like, it's always in your head that it's coming. Mm-hmm. And you know when it's coming because it's everywhere. Right. Um, but even more importantly, in the offseason, in spring ball, in two-a-days, there's always something every day that is associated with this game. Mm. In in the off season, Mickey Marotti will have a finisher at the end of a two hour workout. The and last, Mickey's the strength and conditioning coach. He, yeah, the strength coach at Ohio State. Okay. He he will put him through uh, the team up north period. 
And that will be just some crazy two exhaustion circuit of abs, push-ups, sit-ups. I mean, just whatever he comes up with. And it's always it'll always start with a leader yeah. who will come out and say, Hey, we got 313 days till we beat the fuck out of the team up north. Like, oh, wow. get them juiced okay. for it. And every workout, there's 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 a period yeah. where you, yeah. you remember, like, all right, this is why we're finishing this workout the way we are for this game. Yeah. And then you go to spring ball, there'll be a, a maybe a 10-minute a period in every practice associated with them. In two-a-days, you'll have a 10-minute period associated with them because you want it in their mind when it comes to game week yeah. that they've worked on this for a year. Right. Even if they haven't, to be yeah. honest with you, I mean, even if that period in practice was called the team up north period, you yeah. might you might have worked on something that you needed to work on. But they think they're going, they're working so on. So that's team like up almost north. like a psychological. That's thing. all it is. And as far as like X's and O's, though, when do you guys actually get to preparation for that? Is that does that start early in the season? Usually, uh, it depends. I don't know what Ryan did this year. I haven't talked to him about it, but. Yeah. Uh, in previous years, it really depended on who we played the week before. Okay. So this year, certainly not. They, they they had all they could handle with Penn State. Sure. Now, they might have done some summer studies on Michigan, which is we did in the past. Right. Um, and I'm sure Ryan did that, especially uh, – Ryan has this uh, – this rivalry, internal rivalry with Don Brown, the defensive coordinator at the team up north. Okay. Uh, he was the offensive coordinator at Boston College when Don Brown was the defensive coordinator there. So they went against each other every day. Right. And he used to talk about Don Brown last year all the time about what he would do, what he, what he, you know, what was coming down the road. He, he just had, he was inside his mind. And you saw it in last year's game. He absolutely just ran him off the field. Yeah. So, so, so one other question, I guess, like during, during the week of the game, so like this week, you're 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 in the Woody, which is the practice facility for Ohio State. What is the atmosphere like? It's what, it's it's yeah. it's almost unbearable. Mm. Uh, the the first thing you'll do, you'll walk in the door, and the strength and conditioning staff will have some charade set up, something like strength coaches pushing you, like videos playing, like it, it's different every year. It's something just to get you riled up, mm. but it, everything is different about it. I mean, they have. They have team up north jerseys on the on the hallway, walking to the locker room that you walk on, wipe your feet on. Wow. I mean, it's like it, oh, it's serious. it's very different. And yeah. and the biggest difference, I don't know if they've done it this year. I need to ask. I don't know why I haven't asked yet. But Urban used to play L Cool J's "It's Time for War" <laughs> on repeat all day. <laughs> wow. And it's not bad for the players. They get there an hour before practice. They have. I mean, it's not fun. But for the coaches, yeah. You're trying to script practice. You're trying to watch film, and all you can hear is LL Cool J. Like it, it got to the point where I was like, "Man, I hate LL Cool J." Like I really don't, but you're right, like, "This right. dude is annoying." Yeah, because I was actually wondering, like, considering it's been a decade or so since they've beaten us, how do you guys keep these players motivated year to year? The new freshmen coming in, or it seems like it's just ingrained in the program and taught to these kids to hate that team up north. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is taught. It definitely, um, <clears throat> they do a great job in training camp of educating young kids, especially kids not from the Midwest or from Ohio, about it. But it doesn't take long. Once the culture's there, I mean, the older players kind of get the younger players to understand what it is. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how you feel about that game until you walk on the field and feel just how different the aura is about it. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, shit, this is not just Michigan State. Like, and as a young kid, you probably go out there, I would imagine, and you think, all right, I know this is a rivalry. And then you right. get on the field, you're like, whoa, yeah. whoa, this is way different than I expected. And when you're playing – so Michigan, I think they have the biggest stadium in the in the country. Right. But for me, it, it doesn't seem that intimidating of a place to play. It doesn't seem as – like the size and the level of intimidation match, right? It yeah. No, yeah. It's not in my top ten of, of stadiums that I've been to as far as – 
hard places to play. Um, it can get relatively loud with that many people. Yeah. But it's an open bowl. It's it's not. It's just not one of the best stadiums. It's yeah. really not. No, like, and not. I'm not even saying that out of some Ohio State loyalty. It's no, really not. No, it's just big. Yeah, it's yeah, just big. It's I mean, big. I, Wisconsin, Penn State. You, some of those, you're like, oh, that's a real one. Yeah. You go to that one. It's like it's cool to see. It's yeah, big. Right. But it's like it's not that loud. But that's it. So one other important thing that I, you know, some people know and some people may not know is that your grandfather is Earl Bruce. Yep. You know, one of the you know one of the most legendary coaches in Ohio State history. You know, um, God rest his soul. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I guess having that as you know part of your family lineage. You know, having you know not just Ohio State in your blood, but literally one of the most legendary coaches to ever coach at Ohio State. What was that like growing up and what did he tell you about this game? Yeah, so it, it it's just watching him and his whole experience with Ohio State. I was three years old when he got fired, and I think my earliest memory in life was him getting fired and the band coming to his house to show support because wow. they didn't agree with the firing. Right. A Play lot of it. people didn't agree with it. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people didn't. And mm-hmm. and I was a three-year-old. I didn't understand what he, like, fired. What, he's on fire? Like, right. what are you talking about? <laughs> right. like, you know, I didn't understand the ramifications. But what was really cool to see was that his loyalty to Ohio State never wavered. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it, it taught me so much about life. Like, this school shit on him, yeah. threw him to the curb, fired him. My, everyone else in my family hated Ohio State. Yeah, sure. But not him. He couldn't. It was wow. just he, he. It was in his blood, and this game. I mean, you. I'm telling you, he was. I mean, a year before he passed away, he struggled to remember things and things. Like, but if you brought up this game, like it was like he lost. He he went back in time 20 years, and he was younger, and he could yell at you and punch you and like get fired up. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. like it was like the one thing. It's like, all right, you want to get a rise out of him, get his heart rate up. Yeah. Ask him about this game. That's amazing. It, it was scientific proof that like there was that passion for this game. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Crazy. And then one other thing, too, before uh, I know V has some questions about Harbaugh, but I, w- I did want to ask, you know, if you have a memory, um, favorite memory of this game or, or something that, you know, is, has always stood out to you, either when you're coaching or even before you're coaching Ohio State uh, as a fan, anything that stands out? Uh, well, I guess, oh, God, so many. Yeah, right. Um, my grandfather got inducted into the Hall of Fame at halftime of this game in 2002, oh, which huge. was really cool. Mm-hmm. So I was at that game. I got to see that game. I was at the uh, the game the next year when they when uh, Michigan had Braylon Edwards and Chris Perry yeah. and Chad Henney, and they were they ended up they won. Yeah, and they were loaded. Um, I that was that game. yeah, that was that was cool. I uh, it was a cool atmosphere. Obviously, the outcome wasn't cool, but right, right. Um, but I think I just. I mean, beating him six times was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Curtis jumping. Into yeah, the, the, end the zone. walk off, the walk off touchdown had. I mean, it has to be number one. Yeah. But I don't know the issue when you're coaching. It's so much less enjoyable and so much more stressful that it's more relief than excitement. Yeah. Like when Curtis scored that touchdown, it was like, oh, right. And then you're like, thank God. Like I just want to go home. Yeah. Like that was <laughs> so stressful. Right. And it's 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 sad. You I guess you enjoy it after you kind of it's, it sinks in, but yeah. um I the most enjoyable experiences were as a younger kid or fan just yeah. watching it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I I have a question that's that I haven't been able to figure out myself is like what makes Harbaugh a good coach? Like I watch these games and I'm like he's not very good. <laughs> right. You know, especially a coaching the game, yeah. right? So what makes him so well-regarded? Like, he's got this reputation that precedes himself, but I'm not quite sure. I know he's been to Super Bowl. He had Andrew Luck at Stanford. But what makes him good? I'd like to know. Um, I I think it's like you see it a lot uh, in some of these 
bigger names. I mean, he was a great player at Michigan, played in the NFL. Like he had that name recognition from the jump. His brother's a great football coach. It was a family thing. It was almost like uh, the Mannings to quarterback play is the Harbaugh's to coaching. It was yeah. just like, right. but he's a Harbaugh. Right. He's got to be good. Mm-hmm. And he he did do some really really good things at Stanford, and he did have a great quarterback to help him do those. And he was was successful in the NFL. I mean, he he had a good resume. He had success other places, but I just can't get over uh, two things really: the fact that since he's been at Michigan, they've struggled on offense every year, and they keep yep. firing coordinators, bringing in coordinators, and it's always the coordinators. And it's like the real problem here is there's one underlying problem, mm-hmm. and it's the head coach. Mm-hmm. And he just won't get out of his own way. And I think that one of the biggest things about Harbaugh, and I talked about it in preseason, is I watched it happen with Urban. You are this offensive guy that knows a lot about offensive mm-hmm. football. You become a head coach. You're so successful, kind of off the heels of your offense. And then you're doing so much CEO work as the head coach that you kind of fall out of touch with football. Yeah. And yeah. And Urban did a great job after the Ed Warner, Tim Beck debacle of bringing in Ryan Day, bringing in Kevin Wilson and saying, all right, bro, I'm out. Like, I, I clearly, the game has kind of passed me by. You guys got it. Harbaugh has never done that. Yeah, that ego gets in the way of a lot of coaches. It does. And, and I think he tried to do it with this guy, Josh Gaddis, but it didn't go well for the first four games. And so now he's right back in the middle of it. And it's like, yeah. So I think that's one of his problems and and. and the other problem, he's just weird. Just, yeah. I mean, like the <laughs> weirdest weird. dude. Weird. And and I don't feel him I, in my entire time where he was at, at Michigan. I never felt them in recruiting ever. Yeah, May, on a Michigan kid, maybe on an Ohio kid at like a one of the typical schools that Northern sends. School. Yeah, or like yeah. there's a couple schools that that just have a pipeline to Michigan a little bit. Yeah. But I didn't recruit any of those schools, like down in South Florida, Virginia Beach, you name it, nationally, Texas. I, I never once was like, oh, it's us in Michigan That's for this receiver. Never. Hmm. I can't name. The only one I ever recruited against them on was Donovan Peoples-Jones. Yeah. You talk about fighting with both hands behind your back. Right. From Detroit. Both parents are Michigan grads. Like, yeah. what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, like, yeah. That, yeah. that wasn't a real fact that you even got in that fight. So right. The, the fact that we were in the finals. <laughs> right, were like, right. Like, man, that was a great job. Right. So yeah. we, Go ahead, v. I said, because when you watch the game, it looks like he's visibly flustered, right? Like he's out of sorts once you guys get up or yeah. he doesn't adjust well. It just seems like he doesn't know how to coach the game, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really low on him. I always have been. I, he's a very big, he's a, he's a huge finger pointer, uh, a blame, complain, defend kind of guy where he's always, there's always an excuse. It, it was this short or whatever. It's, there's always something. It's like, hey, go win the game. Right. Yep. Because I, Every coach could bitch about something. And by contrast, also, I think that's, you know, that's a good point is, you know, Urban 7-0 and yeah. against that team up north. He, he he just never lost the game. What, what, what was it about him? I mean, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but what was it about him and his preparation that just made that true? I mean, obviously, he won a ton of games, so it wasn't just this game. Yeah, right. But it seems like there was an extra focus that he had when it came to this game. Yeah, it's uh, so he was. I can give you a little a historical background on it. He always made a big deal about rivalry games at every other stop, mm. solely because of his, uh, I guess his his growing up around this game. He knew that it was supposed to be important. Okay. And and you go to Florida, there's three rivals. They don't really, they're not really rivalries. It's right. like okay, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida State. You can't have three. It's yeah. not possible. <laughs> right. But he was phenomenal in all of them, all yeah. the rivalry games. And then when he got to Ohio State, it was like all right. Now it's going to crank up a little bit because this is the game that made him that way. Mm-hmm. And I think it was mostly – I listened to um, James Laronitis talk about it on the radio today, actually, coming coming here. And he even said it, and, and I agree with him 100%. It's, it was almost like this absolute 
sickness. Like he was terrified to feel that feeling of losing to them mm. and what it would mean, like having to deal with that, especially for like a whole calendar year. Yeah. And it was like this almost fear yeah. of, I, I, I don't ever want to feel that way. And so it was everything he could possibly do to win it. Well, it's crazy because, you know, Ohio State fans are crazy. Michigan fans are crazy. But like losing that game, you know, you have to deal with it's not just you losing it as a coach and it's a blemish on your resume and, you know, what it means for the season and if, whether you go to the Big Ten championship. All that stuff is true. But it's also like you're carrying the burden of millions of people on yeah. your shoulders who like really, really care. Like really and, care. Yeah, like really care. Like, it's not normal how yeah. much people care about this. It's game. really not. Yeah. So that's gotta that's gotta be crazy. So before we go though, I do want to jump into a little bit of the X's and O's, you know, how we think this game is gonna play out. Because Michigan, you know, despite the problems that they had earlier in the season, they look a lot better now than they did before. Yeah, for sure. They rank fourth in yards allowed uh, per game, they're third in yards per play. They're tied for 10th nationally with only 16.2 points allowed a game. So their defense is obviously very solid. Yeah, it'll be the best defense they've played. For sure. So how do you think this game plays out? What are the keys to the game? Uh, the keys to the game are what they didn't do on Saturday is just protect the ball. Yeah. I mean, Justin Fields has done a great job in the throw game. I mean, one interception on the year is yeah. un unheard of. Sick. Um, and, and even in the game Saturday, he did he fumbled the ball three times, lost two. But in the throw game, he had a, they had two drops. I think his adjusted completion percentage was like 84%. Like, just threw the ball lights out. They yeah. didn't throw it a ton. Right. But um, my biggest concern for Ohio State, and, and especially after watching last week's game, is both tackles. I think both tackles are a liability right now, and I think Michigan and Don Brown are going to find every which way possible to go after them. In the run game or the pass game? In the pass game. In the okay. pass game. Okay. I think Ohio State will be able to run the football to an extent. Okay. Um, you, you get inflated stats from last week's game. They ran the ball 61 times. Mm. J.K. ran the ball 36 times, wow. which the most he's ever run the ball was 24 before well, that. Well, he so, might have to do that again because I heard he the, might, their weather might be bad. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so that's a matter of – and so did J.K. run the ball that well? Kind of. Mm. I mean, he, he didn't play outstanding. He didn't run the ball outstanding. The run game wasn't that great. It was more like uh, stats by volume, mm -hmm. which that's fine as long as you get the job done. But just turning the ball over. Right. And then it's going to be all about – we're going to get to see finally if Jeff Okuda is the best corner in the country. And, yeah. and they're going to test Damon Arnett too. Yeah. Um, because they have some big, tall receivers that – if they can, if they can find a way to pass pro, and Shea Patterson just plays average or a little above average, and gives the, gives those kids a chance at some balls, yeah, you're going to find out how good the secondary really is. Yeah, and our D line, uh, or Ohio State's D line, yeah, uh, <laughs> our uh, our D line is, uh, you know, they put pressure on Shea. I think he can t make a lot of mistakes, and then well, also, you know, that frees up a little the cornerbacks a little bit as well. No doubt, and that's going to be the issue in any game the rest of the year, and it has been all all year. Is how do you handle Chase Young, and then even more so, like when they getting third down and Baron Browning's on the other side. It's like, that's a freak of nature too, by the way. Right. People don't want to talk about it. Yeah. That kid is an absolute, like, sh people aren't supposed to be built like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then, I mean, just, I could go on forever. Jayshon Cornell inside has been ridiculous. Yeah. Tyreek Smith really hasn't played well of late. He's going to need to play well. Mm. And then the young kid, Zach Harrison. I mean, the D-line's loaded. Yeah. What do you gonna, think about the linebackers and the linebackers? I think play? they're they're playing... Better than I thought they could. Um, I think Tufts played decent. Pete Warner, people gave Pete Warner all kinds of crap well. from last last week because he gave up six catches, but Penn State targeted Pete Warner. But it was like 40 yards or 47 yeah, yards. Yeah, that, that was their whole game plan was yeah. to go after Pete Warner with their tight end, and he, right. he locked it down. Yeah. I mean, he played phenomenal, but whatever. You get that with analysts sometimes. Yeah. But I think they played really well, and Barron has, has really turned it on. And Malik, Malik Harrison is... <laughs> He's another He's one. Yeah. He's another one that's like, how are you that big and run that? Like, it's not. It's not you, normal. It's yeah. not normal. Yeah. yeah. 
I guess one more question, actually, before we go. I just thought of something, too. Yeah. Ohio State, uh, the new college football rankings came out last night. Ohio State, State is ranked. Or they came out Tuesday. Yeah. Ohio State's ranked number one. Yep. It's a little surprising, not because I don't think that they should be ranked there, but because the committee kind of, you know, has been on LSU and the SEC. But to me, that showed a that showed a lot of, like, non-bias. Like, the yeah. fact that they put Ohio State at number one, and it showed a lot of respect, rather, and to the Big Ten, the fact that they beat Penn State, despite not looking their best. Uh, it seems, though, as though if they run the table, they'll probably end up being one at the end of this thing, too. Yeah, I don't think – I mean, if they just win these next two games, I don't see how you unseat them. I mean, yeah. it's, I don't see LSU having a win that's going to vault, vault them over Ohio State. And, and I don't know if people really think about how critical that is. Huge, huge. You don't want to play LSU or Clemson in the first round. Mm-mm. You don't. And I don't care who gets in at four. Yeah. It's, it should be Utah unless Utah loses. Right. And then if – I guess if Georgia beats LSU, then it's a crapshoot right. uh, underneath. But you don't want to play either of them. Yeah. And if you can get that first round, it'll still be a really good team, the best team they've played. But it's the na- the true national championship then will be the the, the actual national championship as yeah. opposed to like 2014. That is the toughest road. Again, Ohio State fans, I heard them say we'll play anybody any, anywhere, anytime. And that's true. And it, we'll take whoever we get, of course. But I think... That is the toughest draw. Whoever has to, whether it's LSU or Clemson or Ohio State, has to play. Whoever has to play both two of those teams, that's the toughest road to national championship. And people don't really think about. Okay, let's say you draw Clemson in the first first round. Mm -hmm. I get it. You beat them. Great. You have to come off of that game and eight days later play LSU. Yeah. Ooh. We were fortunate in 2014. We had that Alabama game, and then we, eight days later, played a soft Oregon team, right, really. Right. Like, it wasn't, we didn't have to go play another Alabama esque team. Yeah, thank God. Right. And if they get to the final, it's essentially a home game for LSU if LSU makes it, right? It's in yeah. New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, it's in the Superdome. It's yeah. not fair. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. So, right. yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Zach. You know, so, we always appreciate your insight. Um, it's insight you can't really hear anywhere else. Uh, for everybody listening, don't forget to check out his podcast, Menace to Sports. It's Menace to Sports, excuse me. It's available everywhere. And hit us up on Twitter at Pilot Boys Pod. Let us know what you think about the game. Tell us about your experiences with it. If you don't care about it, tell us you don't give a fuck about it. That's cool, too. <laughs> That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guests, Chimdi Chekwa and Van Lathan. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out! Where the Pilot Boys at? Uh, Pilot Boys, we get on up. We gon' fly, boys, we get up. So go fly. Pilot Boys, we get